Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast, bringing magical ideas to improve your world from the happiest place on earth. Your host is J. Jeff Kober, author, speaker, and consultant to organizations around the globe that look to bring best of Disney ideas to their workplace. Welcome to episode two of the Disney at Work podcast. I am your uh, moderator, David Zanola, and I am joined today by J. Jeff Kober, owner and operator of DisneyAtWork.com. Today, Jeff, we are going to be discussing, uh, it is now moving into February, and we are starting to look at what 2017 will bring. A lot of us feel like it may be already well into the year. However, it really is a young year in terms of seeing what's going to be developing in the Disney company and at the Disney parks. So uh, I would love to hear your thoughts as we begin our discussion today in episode two of our podcast about what organizational lessons you think we will learn from the Walt Disney Company in 2017. What do you think? Well, uh, yeah. Well, good. Uh, good to be back here on our second uh, podcast. And actually, we had planned on recording this as our first podcast. But we kind of thought we needed a different kind of intro. So this now has become our second podcast. And we're actually re-recording it to get it just right. But um, And most people, when they're doing this uh What's ahead for 2017? I mean, it seems like every podcast is doing that. Uh, Ours is a little different. And the reason it's different is because we're going to talk about what these things mean to you and your organization and what applications they have back to the business that you have. And so uh, that's the intent of why we're going through this. And uh, I think it'll be fun. And as we're talking, consider what you think might be the things uh, that'll be big happening in Disney and what application they might have back to your business, whether it's uh, uh, private sector, public sector, nonprofit. These things uh, can sometimes have some some interesting implications and things we can learn of. So the first thing that we have on our list today is very timely because just in the recent days at the time of our recording, Uh, The grand opening of Pandora World of Avatar has been announced to be May 27th, 2017, right there in the heavy weekend of Memorial Day. So why don't you share with our listeners what you think we could possibly learn and what Disney could possibly learn from the opening uh, of this large new land at Disney's Animal Kingdom in Orlando? So, yeah, uh, let's back up a minute and go back to the day, and I can't exactly remember what day and month it was that it was announced, but I remember being somewhere in the middle of nowhere um, in the Midwest (laughs) and sitting in a hotel room looking at my email and this big announcement coming in about the fact that they were going to build this world of Avatar, this Pandora, and this big experience that was going to take over I can't mini Mickey. And uh, what was interesting about that, unlike every other announcement that had come at that time, is that it was based on an IP I hadn't seen. I hadn't seen the movie, which was very ironic because not at, like 10 minutes after I read this article, I turn on the TV in my hotel room and what should be playing but Avatar. So I'm like, I got to watch this. <laughs> 
now that I know it's coming, even though that was like four or five years in the making still. Uh, this was like back in 2013 or so. And, um, and what makes this interesting? Now, Disney has done big, big um, experience projects. Uh, I think of Radiator Springs as being a great example of creating a and the new fantasy land that's come in and there's some really great developments disney has had but and and mind you when disney does an attraction and i hope this doesn't bust anybody's bubble but when disney does something this big and this major uh, a lot of times uh they're bringing in a lot of third parties to help create for this and to help build it um, animation that you might see in a movie probably doesn't come from the Disney Animation Studios. It's probably been farmed out. Um, engineering, there was an article, what was it? Um, a seasoned podcast talked about um, uh, the creation of Shanghai Disney and how a lot of people who had been working on projects over at Universal Singapore and so forth had come over to Shanghai to build it. So, And even the animatronics are... Uh, are outsourced. So it's not unusual to outsource something. What's really unusual about this is that the IP itself, the intellectual property, has been outsourced. We're actually using a property that isn't Disney-based, that isn't Star Wars-based, isn't uh, Pixar-based, but it comes from an entirely different studio. Um, not to say, you know, that Star Wars and Indiana Jones kind of came in that way originally, even though Disney at the time didn't own those. those. But this is a big, big investment. And it's going to be interesting to see if you can contract out the actual creative and intellectual property or brand in order to build a great customer experience. So we're going to follow this this year. It's going to be the big hit, uh, the big uh, notice. And what's interesting, and this dives into our second item, is that it apparently appears that Universal plans to open Volcano Bay on the same weekend as World of Avatar. Now, I got to tell you, I'm driving up and, up and down I-4 every few days, and I'm seeing this Volcano Bay unfold. And I got to say, there's a lot of good in it. It's very cool on many levels. But it's also very small in terms of footprint. Uh, they've had to like throw everything in one space and it's backed up against I-4. So it's, I don't know what it's gonna be quite like when it's completed, but they're putting a lot of investment and they decided to open it to seal some of the thunder the weekend that uh, Avatar is open. Now that, it, it, it's not gonna steal Pandora's thunder. That's gonna be huge. But the, but, the, but the one thing that's going to be totally unnoticed that weekend is Typhoon Lagoon. And so that brings us to our second uh, thing to be looking at this year. Typhoon Lagoon has been the greatest water park in the world, only rivaled by its sister park, Blizzard Beach. It has been a phenomenal, it has been the king of, uh, of the, these have been the king and queen of water parks for years. Now, and, and there have been other water parks in town. There's been Wet n' Wild. There's been Watermania, which I used to be part of. There, uh, of course, is SeaWorld's um, water park. And, and now, of course, Volcano Bay. Will it steal Disney's thunder? 
And is it going to make a difference that Disney's new edition, which is Misfortune Falls, or Misadventure Falls, as it has been recently retitled, will that make up the difference? So the thing we're looking at with Typhoon Lagoon is how are you set up to compete? And what do you do to make sure that you are not sitting on its laurels? Now, you know, we talk all the time about how Disney continually reinvents itself. But if there's one place where it kind of sits without really making a lot of change, it's Typhoon and Blizzard Beach. So there have been tweaks over the years and so forth, but they've been pretty minor. Is this going to make up the difference or is Disney going to have to do something else in order to really stay uh, champion of the water park business? Clearly, they're going to have them there because most of the people who come to those two water parks, they are coming, they're staying on Disney property already. It's not too dependent on traffic outside of Disney property. But still, do you really want to see Volcano Bay take take your thunder? So that's number two. It's kind of interesting, too. I was uh, doing a little bit of research about opening dates and announcement to compare the opening dates. Obviously different in scale, different in what kind of things are being involved. But uh, so here's some comparison. So Avatar, the Pandora World of Avatar was officially announced by the Walt Disney Company in September of 2011. Wow. So we are close to six years of development in contrast. And again, completely different beasts in terms of, uh, you know, physical space, basically using uh, the land inside of Disney's Animal Kingdom and building a smaller water park. But plans were officially obtained by Universal in February of 2015 for Volcano (laughs) Bay. And their official announcement came May 28th, 2015. So in just under 24 months... Uh, Universal will have completed, assuming they get, everything works on, on on the timeline that they expected to, and they meet that Memorial Day weekend opening. It will have been just under, just under by a few days, two years in comparison to about uh, five and a half years for Pandora. Now, again, that's not to say necessarily that one is better than the other, because there would be some that would argue that Disney really wants to make sure they get this right, get this right, and they take their time. But there has definitely been a longer uh, gestation period, if you will, with the Pandora uh, world of Avatar than there has been with Volcano Bay. Oh, there's almost been a longer gestation period on Rivers of Time, let alone on uh, on this uh so yeah disney and 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 tied to that david is the fact that uh Iger also announced last week hey we are stepping it up on star wars i think i i thought 19 was the year for disneyland to get star their star wars land i was not expecting walt disney world to get its star wars land in 19. so um so that's a huge um huge push on Disney's part. But then again, you know, think about it. Uh, Disney's known for some time that it was going to build Star Wars land at the studios and at Disneyland. This is not a new thing. And even though they just announced it less than two years ago at D23, Disney's been working on that puppy for a while. So, but again, I think everybody recognizes it takes years to put these things together, especially if you're building something really powerful. But, uh, But for Typhoon Lagoon, it almost seems like an afterthought that they're adding Misadventure Falls in. So we're going to have to look at that carefully to see if that makes up the difference uh, for people attending Typhoon Lagoon. Number three. 
So number three on the list is something that we'll actually be discussing in much more detail uh, on our next podcast episode, but it deals with uh, what some people callously refer to as nickel and diming uh, versus the concept of upselling versus all-inclusive packaging. There has been a lot of news generated uh, specifically in the Disney theme park division in the past, uh, I would say, 12 to 18 months where there are special experiences or things that people can purchase, can add on to their existing packages for uh, an additional cost. Whether it be for a while there was a trial with uh, special VIP tents, basically akin to renting uh, a private cabana at a pool or at a beach setting, that you could basically rent one of these small tents right next to Space Mountain and Tomorrowland in the Magic Kingdom. Uh, They have just announced at least one, potentially two uh, new VIP tours that you can take with your family or with your friends at the theme parks lately. And so The online Disney fan community has really been discussing of late whether or not Disney has kind of reached uh, a limit in terms of its fans of how much they are adding on. So what kind of a lesson, just briefly, do you think we can learn as it relates to our own companies, our own businesses, our own endeavors in terms of nickel and diming versus upselling versus inclusive packaging? How do you approach pricing when it comes to increasing per caps? How do you... You know, and of course, over the weekend, they just uh, increase prices over on tickets, which they do every year. Not a lot of talk around that, actually, uh, but a lot of talk around these other kinds of initiatives and efforts. So look for one of our very uh, soon to happen podcasts, because we're going to go into this in detail and talk about when it works and when it doesn't. Number four uh, is a broader uh, look at all the international parks. Uh, Shanghai opened up last year and um, Iger pretty much suggested that they were going to reach a 10 million number, I think is the number I heard last week for the year. 10 million isn't a great number, but what it has done, it has sparked Hong Kong and they've become a little bit on the competitive side. So all of a sudden, Hong Kong doesn't want to be the smaller sibling. It wants to make sure that it's got big attractions and even a bigger castle. And so it's relooking itself, but it's not sure that it wants to put up the money. Remember that Disney is in co-ownership with this. Tokyo, of course, is determined to keep growing. It always, you can always guarantee that Tokyo's got something going because it has to pay attention to a local audience that they want to repeatedly return to the park. Um, and uh, But it's got spatial limits. And then the biggie this year, I think, is going to be Disneyland Paris. A colleague of mine uh, was with finance, went over to Paris uh, at the time. uh, Chapek had asked for uh, a look at what it would take to get this park ready for the 25th in the same way that Disneyland had to get ready for its 50th. And I am thrilled to see the details every week pouring out on Disneyland uh, Paris and the, uh, the little details on that. So... We're, the whole Disney International picture is going to be very interesting this year. And oh, by the way, we should mention Disney's also trying to buy out Disneyland Paris or the Euro Disney, what has been originally the Euro Disney uh, company. And uh, so there's so many things to, to look at this year. We're going to look at it. Uh, if, if we can, we'll even head to a few of those places. We certainly have been to. Uh, I've been to almost, I've been to all of them, and David's been to almost all of them. 
we need to get David over to, to Paris. Um, so can your services and products transfer to new markets? Can you persevere in those markets? How do you partner to make that happen? We got a lot of fun topics we want to cover with that this year. So we're going to go into that. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, too, about that is a lot of uh, people, for me, for example, the area I live in is a much smaller area, and I think it's important to know. And one thing that we will discuss when we get to dealing with this subject more in depth is a new market does not necessarily have to be an international market. Disney is a global enough brand that they have those possibilities. But finding a new a new market and uh, a new audience for your product and what it is you do does not necessarily have to just mean international. And those are some interesting things that you'll share with people as we move forward about how it is to grow your brand and your products and your services, uh, whether it is 100 miles away or 10,000 miles away. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Our final thing comes to number five. And um, this one goes on longer than any other topic that we've covered. This is one of Disney's biggest, biggest challenges. Since Walt Disney's death over, what, 50 years ago, Disney has not had a good track record for preparing a replacement. Um, it has continually, Roy came out of retirement after Roy, his son-in-law took over, and that led to Roy E. putting in Michael Eisner, and then it led to Roy E. taking out Michael Eisner, and now it's been Bob Iger. It's been a good stay, but Bob keeps staying longer. And in fact, I think I saw, uh, did you see any rumors over the weekend, David? I thought I saw some saying that maybe Iger's looking to stay even a little bit longer. Yes, actually, there's an article uh, that I had just pulled up before the recording from Orlando Weekly. Uh, it's a blog, and there have been other blogs that have picked this up. There has not been an exact statement from Bob Iger, uh, but a very quick Google News search uh, about, is Bob Iger retiring? Uh, there's a lot of things where basically people are suggesting that due to the, the recent earnings call that he had, uh, there are many suggestions. In fact, uh, at a website called thestreet.com, their headline says, Disney CEO Bob Iger basically told everyone, in quotes, I'm staying. So it does not appear, at least that has been made public, uh, that even though Bob Iger actually turns uh, 66 uh, this coming Friday, uh, it does not appear as if there are any, there is anyone immediately in place to take over. So perhaps he will be staying. I, you know, we're going to we're going to hear more about this over the year and we're going to talk about how do you prepare to develop the leadership of tomorrow? You know, what is your succession plan? What are you doing to create and make that happen? So that's a big thing we want to look at, too, as we go through to 2017 is so full. And I'm feeling there are some things we haven't even uh, included here that are going to surprise us and, and create lots of topics. So stay tuned to this podcast. And, uh, and let me give you a little hint about this podcast is, uh, you know, you have, you have podcasts and, and blogs to say, uh, NSFW, not safe for work and so forth. This one's safe for work. It's not only safe for work, it's good for work because here we talk about ideas for how to improve customer service, how to improve leadership, how to improve customer loyalty, how to improve, how to engage your employees better. So there's a reason why you should be listening to this at work and on your way to work and while you're working out and anytime you're at work, that's why we call it Disney at work. So so uh, please stay tuned throughout the year because I think we've got some great topics. 
Well, we want to thank everyone for joining us for episode number two of the Disney at Work podcast. If you are just finding out about us, uh, feel free to go back and listen to us. You can download and subscribe on iTunes to be able to grab episode number one, which is where uh, Jeff and I not only spend a little bit of time giving you background on who we are and where we're from and uh, where Jeff's expertise comes from, but also gives you a little bit of a layout, which is basically going to serve kind of as the foundation uh, for the podcast over the upcoming years. You can grab that on iTunes. And we also encourage everyone who has listened uh, to go to iTunes and rate the podcast, giving us a rating that definitely helps in terms of visibility. And uh, we hope that you will join us on episode three, where we will be talking about the subject of nickel and diming versus upselling versus all-inclusive packaging. Thanks, everyone, very much for tuning in. Hey, have a great day. Take care. It is now time for the Disney at Work trivia moment. If you know the answer to the following question I am about to reveal, please email us at podcast at disneyatwork.com. You can put trivia answer in the subject, and we will choose at random one person that has the correct answer and you will win a free copy of Jeff's book, The Wonderful World of Customer Service at Disney. So, here we go. The trivia question for today's show is, Since 1971, Walt Disney World has had an ongoing magazine-style newsletter offered to their employees that keeps them informed about the company. What is the name of that publication? Again, Since 1971, Walt Disney World has had an ongoing magazine-style newsletter for their employees. That newsletter keeps them informed about the company. If you email us with the name of that publication, you are eligible to win a free copy of Jeff's book, The Wonderful World of Customer Service at Disney. Thank you very much for joining us again this week. Please visit us on iTunes uh, and subscribe and give us a rating. Visit the show notes at DisneyAtWork.com, follow along with Disney at Work on Twitter or on Facebook, and feel free to share any insights or comments that you have by emailing Jeff and I at podcast at DisneyAtWork.com.